I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, we ask one of the most fundamental and one of the most difficult questions in glaucoma. How can we tell if a glaucoma medication is working? We'll hear from Tony Rialini, who has made monocular trials a central subject of his research. The second assumption of the monocular trial, that both eyes respond equally to a given medication, is a valid assumption. So the first assumption is false, the second assumption is true, and the monocular trial fails because the first assumption is false. We'll also hear from five glaucoma specialists from different parts of the United States about assessing glaucoma medications. First this. Did you know that you can get every episode of As Seen From Here as soon as it comes out and without ever having to visit a website? It's called subscribing, and it's free. Each week, subscribers get As Seen From Here automatically loaded onto their iPods, MP3 players, and computers by using a program called a podcatcher. Go to asseenfromhere.com and click on the How Do I Listen button. Subscribing only takes a minute. Free podcatchers are available for Windows, Macintosh, and Linux computers. I put links to download an excellent podcatcher on the How Do I Listen page of asseenfromhere.com. Then, within hours of my podcasting an episode, you'll have it too. Choosing an appropriate glaucoma medication is difficult for two reasons. First, some patients will respond poorly to certain medications, and the potential exists for a patient to use a medication for a significant period of time before this poor response is recognized. The second difficulty in choosing the right glaucoma medication is that intraocular pressures are, by nature, variable over the course of the day and between days, and that the amplitude of this variability is even greater in patients with glaucoma. Many ophthalmologists attempt to address these difficulties by performing one-eye trials of glaucoma medications, prescribing the medication to be tested in one eye, and using the non-medicated eye as a control. Certain assumptions are inherent in the one-eye trial, and these are the subject of investigation of Tony Rilini. I asked Tony why he chose this subject for research. A number of years ago, I was working on a project where it was necessary that I find a reference that established that the monocular drug trial worked so that I could cite it in my paper and move on with the other things that I wanted to build on that. Well, in looking for it, I was completely unable to find any documentation that the monocular trial had ever been evaluated in any formal sense to see whether, in fact, it actually had any value in predicting second eye response to glaucoma medicines. I thought, well, okay, we'll just take a quick look at it, prove that it works, send it to Arvo, then it'll be somewhere citable, and I'll be able to move on. Well, it didn't turn out to be quite that simple. The correlation between right, and, right eye and left eyes treated with the same medicine in eyes with glaucoma turned out to have very, very poor correlation, and that surprised us. To look at it, what we did was we did a uh, retrospective chart review of approximately 50 patients who were undergoing addition of a medication to control their pressure. In most cases, it was the first medicine. In some cases, it was the second medicine being used to lower pressure. It was a retrospective chart review, so we found patients in whom the drug was added first in one eye, and then they were brought back to see how well it worked, and then the drug was added in the second eye, and they were brought back to see how well it worked. And we were able to correlate drop in pressure in the first treated eye with the drop in pressure in the second treated eye. Tony, can I have you explain what the rationale of the one-eye trial is? Sure. Intraocular pressure changes spontaneously. 
If I were to check your pressure any number of times, I would get any number of readings, uh, usually within a fairly narrow range, and the amplitude of that range has been fairly well determined. Uh, for normals, it's usually on the order of 3 to 4 millimeters of mercury fluctuation over the course of a day. In treated glaucoma patients, it's probably on the order of 5 to 7 points. And in untreated glaucoma patients, it may be somewhere on the order of 12 to 14 points. With all of that fluctuation going on, noise, if you will, how can we put a drop in somebody's eyes, bring them back at a later date, check the pressure, and have any real sense whether or not the drop lowered pressure? I'll give you a classic example. You come in and your pressures have always been 18, and today they're 25. So I start a drop in both eyes. You come back in next time and they're 18. Did the drop lower pressure? Or were your pressures destined to be 18 again today, regardless of what we did? The monocular trial was designed to account for non-therapeutic or spontaneous fluctuations. In the scenario I just described, we would put a drop in one eye, but not the other, when both eyes were 25. And when you come in next time, if you're 18 in the eye that we treated and still 25 in the eye we didn't, you'd say, well, by gosh, that worked. Almost never that simple, though. turns out that sometimes you do that and you come in next time and the pressure's 18 in both eyes. And we have no idea what to do with that information. Or my favorite scenario where you come in the next time and your pressure's 27 in the eye you treated and 30 in the eye that you didn't treat. Some people would say, well, relatively, it lowered the pressure. And I've always wondered how you can declare a, a drug effective when the pressure actually went up in the eye after you started it. But these things happen. The primary assumption of the monocular trial is that the spontaneous fluctuation that goes on over time is symmetric between eyes, both in magnitude and in direction, so that we can use one eye as a correction for the other. So if the pressure was 25 in both eyes and we treat the right eye and you come in next time and you're 15 in, one eye, in the treated eye and 20 in the untreated eye, pressure dropped 10 points in the treated eye, dropped 5 points in the untreated eye, the difference is 5 millimeters of mercury. That's the drug effect. The monocular trial has never been validated. A few years ago, we looked at our experience with monocular trials to see if the pressure drop in the monocular trial eye correlated with the eventual pressure drop in the second eye when it was treated. We looked at approximately 50 patients who had a medicine added to one eye were brought back to see how the pressure changed. And then if it dropped adequately, had the medicine added to the second eye, brought back to see how well it worked over there. And we correlated the drop in pressure in the right eye to the drop in pressure in the left eye to see whether or not the monocular trial predicted second eye IOP reductions. It didn't. Not at all. The correlation between first treated eye and second treated eye pressure changes was essentially zero. Tony, what are the assumptions that a one-eye trial makes? There are two main assumptions. The first is that spontaneous pressure changes in the right and left eyes of an individual are symmetrical. All else being equal and nothing being done to either eye, if the right eye goes up five points, the left eye should go up five points. If the right eye goes down six points, the left eye should go down six points. So that if you treat one eye and not the other, the pressure change between the time that you start the drop and the time that you assess the drop will obviously rec represent both a therapeutic component of the drug and a spontaneous component from normal routine IOP fluctuation. Separating those out can be done by comparing the pressure drop or the pressure change in the untreated fellow eye. If that went up six points, then the, right, then the treated eye would have gone up six points, and you factor that into the pressure change you actually observed, and you can calculate the actual drug effect. Only valid if, in fact, both eyes undergo symmetric spontaneous IOP fluctuations.
That's assumption one. Assumption two is that the drug will, in fact, lower pressure equally in both eyes. We, we now need to figure out which, if not both, of the assumptions is a false assumption. We start by looking at assumption number one, which is that the two eyes experience symmetric spontaneous fluctuation. That's one of the hallmarks of the monocular trial, that spontaneous fluctuations occur symmetrically between eyes, and you can use one eye as a control for the other and adjust for those spontaneous changes and derive the therapeutic component of IOP change. Start to drop in one eye, bring them back, the pressure change in that eye minus the pressure change in the untreated eye is the drug effect. That only holds true if both eyes undergo symmetric spontaneous fluctuations. So we looked to see if, in fact, the two eyes undergo symmetric spontaneous IOP fluctuations. Uh, we looked at 40 glaucoma patients who, over at least five visits in a row, had no change in their medicines, so they were treated completely stably. There was, no, there was nothing that we did to therapeutically alter their pressures and compared them to 40 normal patients who were on no medications over the same five visits in a row. And we found that it was incredibly common. In fact, more than 50% of glaucoma patients and more than 50% of normal patients exhibited remarkably asymmetric IOP fluctuations, spontaneous IOP fluctuations, since they were on the same medicines for the glaucoma group and no medicines for the normal group during the study period. The right eye changed significantly more than the left eye, or the left eye changed significantly more than the right eye in both of these patient populations frequently. It wasn't atypical for a patient to come in with a pressure of 14 in both eyes one day and a pressure of 18 and 14 the next time, or 16 and 18 one day and then 18 and 16 the next day, which is a four-point change. One eye went up to, the other eye went down to. They didn't, they weren't, they don't, they didn't appear to be yoked at all the way we expect them to. So it turns out that our assumption in the monocular trial that spontaneous IOP fluctuations are symmetric between eyes is a false assumption. And that's at least one reason why the monocular trial fails. The other assumption is that the medication will lower the pressure equally in both eyes. That's never been formally evaluated, but we recently looked at that in a paper that was published in Ophthalmology in spring of 2005, where we found patients who needed pressure reduction in both eyes, gave them the same medication in both eyes, brought them back a month to six weeks later, and checked the pressure, and compared the pressure drop in the right eye to the pressure drop in the left eye, and found that there was great correlation between right eye and left eye response to the same medication. So the eyes do appear to respond symmetrically to a given medication if you evaluate it over the same time period. If you try to do it the monocular trial way, comparing right eye over one time period to left eye over another time period, that's apples and oranges. The second assumption of the monocular trial, that both eyes respond equally to a given medication, is a valid assumption. So the first assumption is false, the second assumption is true, and the monocular trial fails because the first assumption is false. Given that some patients truly will respond poorly to a particular medication, and that it makes sense for us clinically to try to identify which medications for one particular patient work and which ones don't, and given that you've demonstrated that monocular trials are not the 
way that, that we're going to figure out clinically which medication is going to work for a particular patient. What do we do? That's a great question, and I take exception to one of your assumptions there, because I think if, if, if my research has taught me anything, it's that we assume way too much and don't question ourselves. And you said that some patient, that, that there are patients out there who just don't respond to some medications. I, that's absolutely true, and I have absolutely no doubt that's true, but I think the number is smaller than what we think it is. If you look at the randomized clinical trials where patients stay on the drug regardless of their pressure drop, as long as it's safe, as long as they're in the safe range, the ultimate responder rates are very, very high for almost all drugs. And yet, in order for me to find 40 glaucoma patients on a stable IOP regimen for five visits in a row, I had to look through close to 800 charts to find 40 who didn't have a medicine change over any five-visit sequence in their treatment in, in, in their whole chart, some of these spanning 10 and 15 years of treatment, uh, I think we change medicines way too often because we falsely assume that the drug doesn't work because our way of assessing whether the drug worked or not is false, is, is, is inappropriate. I don't think we can determine whether a, drop lower, whether a drug lowered pressure or not at a single visit. That's the equivalent of trying to figure out the plot of a movie by looking at one frame of the movie. It can't be done. To answer your question, everything that you read about initiating glaucoma therapy will say over and over and over again, you should try to get multiple baseline IOP measurements before starting treatment so that you have a good, valid, robust baseline, not just a single number, but several numbers. No one has ever advocated that we should get several on-treatment pressures to determine how well the drug worked. It's a total and inappropriate double standard. A whole bunch up front and then make the make or break decision on one on therapy measurement. I think a lot of patients have it written in their chart non-responder to prostaglandin when in fact they weren't a non-responder to prostaglandins. They had a probably a decent IOP drop with a spontaneous upward IOP fluctuation that masked it. And now their chart documents that they are non-responders to the best, most effective, and safest class of drugs out there, and they've been moved on to something else. So the answer to your question is, unless there's a dangerous threshold pressure that we have to get down immediately, leave patients on drops for more than one pressure check and see whether your average pressure trend is better on the drop than it was before you started the drop. That's what I do. Just to be practical here, what's the magic number, Tony? I mean, is it is it three visits? Is it, you know, five pressure checks? Is a pressure check spread out over over 24 months? I mean, how how slowly do I do I need to go before a, I, I, I'm comfortable that I'm not I'm not giving the, the patient short shrift? That's a good question. And I don't have an answer for you. If not throughout the glaucoma community, then certainly in my glaucoma practice, my findings have resulted in a mini paradigm shift that I'm still implementing. I'm still dealing with my findings that the monocular trial is not useful. And I am still searching for a more effective way to assess medication efficacy. I don't have one to offer. I don't have any specific guidelines. In fact, I should mention, all of my work in this area to date has been retrospective. There was a study presented at the American Glaucoma Society a few years ago and not published looking prospectively at the monocular trial and showing that it really didn't seem to work very well 
in a prospective fashion either. And actually at Arvo this year, I was pleased to see that Bob Weinreb looked at some of his old data and confirmed that in fact, diurnal pressure fluctuations in right and left eyes don't seem to correlate very well, which would again, uh, deal a serious blow to the validity of the monocular trial. Tony, thank you very much. You bet. Okay, take Thanks care. A lot. Right, bye-bye. Bye. Tony Rilini is Associate Professor of Ophthalmology at the West Virginia University Eye Institute in Morgantown, West Virginia. His paper, Symmetry of Fellow Eye Intraocular Pressure Responses to Topical Glaucoma Medications, appears in the April 2005 issue of Ophthalmology. When I reviewed this interview, I felt that it was incomplete. Tony makes a pretty good case that the fact of independent unilateral variability of intraocular pressures challenges an important premise of the one-eye trials. However, there's a difference between saying that pressures vary in an unpredictable way and that pressure readings should not be used to determine therapy because of this variability. I decided to ask five glaucoma specialists two questions. The first was, how do you assess whether a glaucoma medication is going to work? The second is, how do you assess whether a medication regimen has ceased to work? I was very specific with the second question to ask the number of visits a patient would have to present with elevated pressures before the ophthalmologist determines that a change in therapy is warranted. This sounds like a trite question, two visits, three visits, but I believe that it gets to the crux of the complaint Tony Rilini makes. If intraocular pressure control is not knowable based on a single pressure check, then a definable number of checks should exist which would give us reasonable confidence that our therapeutic decisions are informed. I asked Annapurna Singh, Assistant Professor of Ophthalmology at the Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine in Cleveland, Ohio, about one-eye trials. I don't believe that they are absolutely defunct and they, you know, that there's nothing to a one-eye trial. And I think that's uh, pretty much all I have, especially in patients who, say, have pressures which are on the lower range, so say between 18, 23, 24, and especially in them, I think the one-eye trial it works for me, and I do use it in most of my patients. Now, if they come in with 35s and higher, I may not go in for a one-eye trial, and I will just start them on both eyes. But uh, in most of my other patients, I will start one medication and then give them a trial for a few weeks and then on just the one eye. And, of course, I do have my baseline pressures, and I will generally start it on the eye with the higher pressure. So when they come back, I have a rough idea whether it's doing something or doing nothing at all. So I still do use the one-eye trial. I haven't given up on it entirely. Do you check pressure for the one-eye trial just in a single visit or in, or in two visits? When, when do you make your adjustment? I make the decision uh, most of the time on the next visit, which is within three to four weeks. So on that day, if I find that the pressure in both the eyes is about the same or if it, or the pressure hasn't come down in the eye that I started uh, the drop-on, then I will use something else. Conversely, if one of your patients has been managed well on a particular regimen and then comes back with pressures that are, let's say that your goal is 16 and a patient comes in with a pressure of 19, mm -hmm. do you alter the regimen on, on the first visit? Mm -hmm. Do you let it go two visits? I mean, what, what's, your, what's your personal call? Yeah, again, you know, I, I do look at my baseline pressure all over again. Again, if I started at much higher pressures, a variation of two or three, I may not jump into changing right away. And in any case, I will ask the patient whether they did do their drops, you know, as they were supposed to have. Did they run out of them? Did they have money issues? You know, all the little things that they could have run into. 
And after that, I still will give them at least one more visit before I decide to do something about it. So I won't change things right away on based on just one pressure reading on one visit. Andy Prince is a glaucoma specialist in New York City and the president-elect of the New York State Ophthalmological Society. I asked him these questions too. Given the fact that we all are aware that diurnal fluctuation is a uh, real issue in determining therapeutic response to, to drug trials, whether they're unilateral or bilateral trials, not to mention the fact that asymmetric non-therapeutic fluctuations may be a significant factor. And the one way around this is to get a better handle on a patient's intraocular pressure fluctuations prior to treatment. So what we're talking about are multiple intraocular pressure checks on different days at different times a day so we can establish some type of pattern. After we establish that pattern, I think we're eliminating some of this fluctuation and can better predict a successful or, or non-successful therapeutic a uniocular trial. If I was happy with the response that I got with a unilateral trial, I might consider using the I would consider using the drug in both eyes. If the response that was recorded in the fellow eye did not follow uh, the pattern that I would predict given symmetric responses, therapeutic responses to medications that have been demonstrated, then I might consider doing a unilateral stoppage of medication to again try to better explain any variability in the response that I was getting. And about when to determine whether a therapeutic regimen has ceased to work? I again look for a pattern. I mean, there are many reasons why a patient's pressure might go up, maybe some change in systemic therapy, maybe a compliance issue. So I'll always give a patient one, two, or three chances, again, looking for patterns. I think, again, trying to make an assessment with one isolated visit and one isolated intraocular pressure reading is, is probably an injustice. I'm going to hold your feet to the, to the fire here a little bit, Andy. Okay. What about two visits? No, I'd probably go for three visits. Okay. But then again, uh, <laughs> but then again, but then again, Josh. I mean, it depends on you know the individual patient. If it's a no, patient no, no, I understand that. I understand the history of poor setting. compliance. Some of this is an art, and getting a sense for uh, how compliant the patient is. None of this is carved in stone. So if I see a patient and after two visits the pressures are still 19 in both eyes, and I have some issue whether a certain drug I'm giving is working, I then do a unilateral, a unilateral trial by stopping the drug. I think we should preface that, obviously, if a patient's intraocular pressure is at a dangerous level, you don't have the option of reassessing them on several visits several times a day. So this only implies that you have the room. I pose these same questions to Peter Netland, professor of ophthalmology and director of glaucoma at the University of Tennessee College of Medicine in Memphis, Tennessee. I, I do one-eyed trials oftentimes, not always. The question really we're, we're trying to answer is, will the medication work? And there's really no way to know if a medication will work without doing a trial of some sort, a one-eyed or a two-eyed trial. Individuals vary in, the, in their responses to medications and so we, uh, we must do some sort of uh, trial evaluation to actually determine in that individual patient whether the medication will work. Oftentimes I do perform a one-eyed trial. Certainly now I'll be interpreting those with greater caution in light of Dr. Riolini's uh, work, which I find uh, very compelling and, and interesting. I asked Peter the number of visits he uses to assess the effect of a one-eyed trial. 
Well, I, I really do try to assess it at a single visit if I possibly can, but, but I do feel that it would be better to, to check over several visits. I, I think oftentimes you can uh, go ahead and start the medication in both eyes and then assess over the next several visits uh, how consistent the response is. In general, whether I'm doing a one-eyed or a two-eyed trial, I'm looking for at least a 15 to 20% reduction of the intraocular pressure as a sort of a threshold level for my uh, response. And I look to achieve this uh, consistently over several visits, at least two visits, and I may switch them over immediately from a one-eyed trial to the two-eyed uh, therapy, uh, even after one visit. Uh, but I continue to assess the response over the next several visits. And about when to determine whether a therapeutic regimen has ceased to work? It really depends, and I, I wish I could give a more concrete answer, but the first thing I do is, in my patients, assess compliance when there is a higher pressure than usual. I try to make myself uh, comfortable uh, with the idea that they are still taking their medications. I try to reassure myself that uh, there are no other factors involved that may influence the efficacy of the medication. And, uh, and then I almost always recheck the, the numbers, is the exact number of times that we should check two or three times it's hard to say. I, I, I think you, at least several visits are usually uh, necessary to, to really understand what's going on. Then we can restart, we can rechange the therapy at that point. Uh, of course, we're talking about situations where there's really um, marginal changes in the intraocular pressure uh, for severe elevations or, or uh, in situations where it's more obvious that we really must change in a more rapid time frame than, than oftentimes we have to forego the, the rechecking. But um, but in many instances, we can recheck. We have the luxury of rechecking, and it, and it helps us to make a better, more um, accurate assessment of whether the patient's pressures really are high or whether there's some other factor involved, including the variability that Dr. Riolini mentions. I asked David Greenfield, Associate Professor of Ophthalmology and a specialist in glaucoma at the Bascom Palmer Eye Institute in Miami, Florida, what his protocol is to assess the effect of glaucoma medications in his patients. Protocol is to start someone on a new medication at the lowest dose in one eye and bring them back in four to six weeks to judge the response and the tolerability. And depending upon the response, you know, you go from there. It's really hard to say, Josh, because you could really get multiple scenarios. In other words, the pressure in that one eye can be lower and the left eye can be the same. Both eyes can be the same. One eye could be higher. <laughs> And, you know, it's hard to walk you through, you know, where you go. I can only, I can only tell you that what I told you is, is the general paradigm that I follow and most people follow. There are lots of things that can affect the response of a one-eyed trial, including compliance and washout and nasolacrimal duct occlusion and obviously efficacy. So all those things are going to factor into your response after doing a monocular therapeutic trial, but... You have to take them all into consideration when trying to determine uh, response rates. And how many visits of intraocular pressure above goal he needs to feel that a medication regimen has ceased to control a patient's intraocular pressure? You have to be flexible when considering a target goal because there's considerable diurnal variability and I think more, more appropriate than a specific numeric goal is a range. And if, uh, if I'm at the desired range, for example... 14 to 16 or 12 to 14, you'll just recheck it on another visit. If I'm close to the desired target range and the patient has advanced disease, I'll probably bring the patient back and recheck it again, but in a shorter interval of time rather than three or four months, maybe one or two months. 
And if the patient is close to the goal but has mild disease, you might extend the follow-up interval, you know, three or four months. If, if you're not anywhere close to the desired range and there was very little response in efficacy to a monocular therapeutic trial, then rather than switch within a class, I'll switch to a different class of medication and bring the patient back in four to six weeks to judge the response. But you have to be cognizant of the fact that a target is, is a moving target, and it, it, it's a flexible target depending upon progression, depending upon whether or not a disc hemorrhage is present, depending upon whether or not there are other factors that might make you more concerned about the risk for progression. So you have to take into mind that, you know, rather than a fixed numerical, you should probably more appropriately use a target range and be flexible within that range to change it. Last, I spoke with Eve Higginbotham, professor and chair of the Department of Ophthalmology and director of the Glaucoma Service at the University of Maryland School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland. Whenever I have a new patient or a patient in whom I'm uh, beginning uh, a new medication, I do actually start as with a monocular trial. Uh, and, and my argument is that some of these medications really may only work uh, in a marginal way. That is, you may only get 15 to 20% uh, pressure reduction. And if you overlay a marginal uh, pressure reduction uh, on top of the dynal variation which occurs, uh, anyway, in intraocular pressure, it, it becomes difficult to decipher what is really a therapeutic response versus what is just uh, diurnal variation unless you actually separate out the responses by applying the drug just in one eye. So I'm a huge proponent of, of monocular trials to be able to determine what is the therapeutic contribution of any given drug. I asked her whether she assesses outcome of a one-eye trial at a single visit? That's a great question. Certainly, it's, it's important if you really are getting just a, a marginal response, depending upon the class of medication. So, for instance, uh, when I'm uh, trying prostaglandins, I may actually have the patient come back uh, in another four to six weeks. So my interval is about four to six weeks for patients to come back. Uh, that's certainly adequate time for a beta blocker. Certainly, if I don't get a response within four to six weeks in a beta blocker, I don't necessarily bring them back. If it's a topical carbonic anhydrase inhibitor, I don't necessarily bring them back. But uh, if it's a prostaglandin, I may actually bring them back for a second visit. Uh, so it really depends upon the class, but generally, it's, it's better to have more pressure measurements than, than fewer pressure measurements and on how many visits she needs to feel that a medication regimen has ceased to control a patient's intraocular pressure? There are a couple of um, questions within that question. One is uh, when I set a goal, um, how many pressure measurements do I do before I say the goal has been met uh, versus, um, again, when we start a medication, when do we uh, determine efficacy? You know, if it really depends upon the patient, essentially. So if I have a patient who's an hypertensive, and I set a goal of, uh, say, a 20% reduction, but I'm only getting about 15% reduction. Well, an hypertensive is not going to go blind if I just wait to, to actually determine if that pressure is, is, has, goal has been met yet another visit. So in that patient, I may actually wait. 
Um, but if it's a patient that has moderate severe glaucoma, I may not want to wait for yet a second reading. So because the, the margin of error is, is certainly much, much narrower if you have a patient, split fixation, et cetera. So you really, it really depends upon the severity of the glaucoma as well as the class of medication uh, that will drive whether or not I may need to bring that patient back yet another visit just for a pressure check. I want to thank all of today's guests, Annapurna Singh, Andy Prince, Peter Netland, Dave Greenfield, Eve Higginbotham, and especially Tony Rilini for their contributions to this podcast. Ask questions of Dr. Rilini or of any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines. In the United States, dial area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom, dial 020-7558-8275 or Skype JYoungMD. Those numbers can be found on our website as seenfromhere.com. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.